Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, you know, I think the time has come to tell you that the reason I selected you to be on our on, on this podcast is because somebody bet me that I couldn't take the most uncultured British person out there and turn them into a professional podcast host. But I I took that bet. Really? But I want you to know that now my feelings for you are genuine. I, I can't believe this. I'm just torn. <laughs> on the one hand, you've done this bet behind my back, but now you have made me a better person. Well, listen, if, if you want it's to... It's like Pygmalion or My Fair Lady or... <laughs> If you want to storm off so that we can have a, a dramatic and heartfelt and, and sweet reunion at the end of the episode, I would understand. Okay. <laughs> I'm back. All right. See, I told you my feelings for you are real, Phil. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I've just, uh, I've also, while I was just away then, I've just been past, it's a new, uh, it's a new cure apparently for you know many diseases it's like an aerosol spray so release it into the air it's going to cure the whole world oh, so that sounds that sounds great i mean honestly what yeah. could go wrong with that i know nothing 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 i mean that's perfect it sounds foolproof to me you've made me a better person <laughs> i'm going to cure the world <laughs> i love it all right well on that note why don't you go ahead and tell people what we are going to be talking about in this week's fine episode Finally, it's the flubber episode you've all been waiting for. <laughs> we are going to have to get to that at some point, aren't <laughs> yeah, we? We will do. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we're going to be going after the ending of 1999's She's All That and 2007's I Am Legend. So we got some kind of vampire kind of thing and also Freddie Prinze Jr. Uh, transforming Rachel Cook. We'll also be doing our top 10 favorite films of 2008, which wasn't actually... Uh, it was not a banner year for movies. No, no. It really was a very underwhelming year when you look at it. There were some big films that got lots of critical acclaim, but that I personally were just a bit meh. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely one of those years where I easily found 10 films that I enjoyed, but it wasn't... There was nothing that was like, oh my gosh, what a great... You know, like coming after 1987, I think we did last episode, yeah, where I, you know, my top five was like choice. a brutal, you know, bloodbath to the finish for my favorite film. And this one was kind of like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of films I like. Yeah. Yeah. But it'll be interesting. There's some good stuff still, so we'll we'll have fun with that. It'll be fun to see yes. where we uh, agree and where we differ. Yes, I think there could be some quite uh, quite a few different results on that one. Yes, for sure. Mm. All right, well, let's get into our films then, How shall we? Yes, do you want to run through what happened in She's All That? I would love to. So She's All That, 1999, starring Freddie Prinze Jr., Rachel Lee Cook, Paul Walker, and Matthew Lillard. Uh, as you alluded to earlier, it is a modern adaptation of George Bernard Shaw's play Pygmalion and George Cooker's 1964 film My Fair Lady. The story goes that Zach Seiler, Freddie Prince Jr., is the most popular guy in high school. But when his girlfriend dumps him for a reality TV star named Brock Hudson, played by Matthew Lillard, he claims that she can be replaced by any girl. Well, Zach Friend's Dean, played by Paul Walker, bets him that he can't turn just any random girl into prom queen in six weeks. And Zach accepts. So Dean chooses Lainey Boggs, played by Rachel Lee Cook, a weird art student with very few friends. 
Cue Zack's attempts to woo Lainey, a makeover, and the beginning of true feelings between the two. When Dean becomes interested in Lainey because of her newfound popularity, she rejects him, so he tells her about the bet. Obviously, she's super pissed at Zack. So she ends up going to the prom with Dean, who boasts to his friends that he's going to sleep with her, but she fights off his advances. When she arrives home, Zack is waiting where he apologizes and they share a dance and a kiss. Since Lainey didn't get elected prom queen, Zack loses the bet and has to honor the deal. So at high school graduation, he walks on stage naked. And that is the end of She's All That, a true 90s rom-com classic, if ever there was one. Certainly was, but in this day and age, with what's going on in the world, if uh, students did strip naked at a graduation ceremony, now he'd be arrested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, Yeah, it's true. But but that aside, it is a great movie. Yes. Are you are you a fan? Yeah, I, of I, it? I did I did enjoy the I did enjoy the film when I saw it. It's uh, I'm a sucker for that kind of romantic comedy, and I I always love it when they have you know this they pick somebody you know who's uh who's uh apparently not attractive. <laughs> right. and always, they, they just have the glasses on and the hair down, and they look a little bit you know a bit mousy. Yeah. Or they just you know look a bit scared, and then they always have that transformation stream where everybody goes, wow. Yeah. Yeah, we all know. Right. We all know. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you on that. But it, it is a really fun movie. It just it captures everything that I love about that sort of teen high school rom com, you know, thing. It, it's, yeah, it's predictable yeah. and it's and it's, you know, it's easy to see where it's going, but it, it's still a good time. It's got a really fun cast. Uh, I, I do like this movie a lot. Yeah, and I always I always quite like Freddie Prince Jr. as well. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah, he's always good. I quite like the fact now he's uh, he's voicing what is it? Kane and uh, Jarris on Rebels. Kay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he also Rebels, has a yeah. really good podcast out called Print and the Wolf, where uh, it's him and a, a comedian friend of his, and they just talk about everything under the sun, and it's I, I like it a lot. Oh, okay. I've not listened to that yeah. one. I'll have to check that yeah, one out. It's a good one. It's a little shout-out to, to Freddie Prince there. A little. This has been the Freddie Prince Minute on After the Ending. <laughs> okay, so, Phil, do you want to go ahead and start things off and give us your day after for She's All That? Okay. Well, after the graduation ceremony, Zach quickly goes and gets dressed. The thought that there are now many photos of him naked passes briefly through his mind, but he honoured the bet and he thinks nothing could come of it. His naked stunt does make the local news, though, and he ends up getting a few free meals in local restaurants when he's recognised, and everybody takes it as a joke it was meant. Zach and Lainey end up going to a graduation party and had a great time. Everyone was laughing about Zach and what he did, and Zach and Lainey are extremely happy and talk about what they will do next. That's my day after. Very good. I like it. Thank you. And what's, uh, what's going on then with your day after? Well, Lainey applies to art school, and shocker, she gets in. But as she's only going to be one state over, she and Zach decide to continue their budding relationship. They spend the summer together and grow close, and when the summer comes to an end, they're both sad to have to go to different schools. Zach heads off to the state university on a football scholarship, while Lainey heads off to her prestigious art college. Lainey becomes incredibly popular on her campus, as she's a very talented artist, and now she knows how to interact with students of all personality types. Zach, however, finds himself struggling a bit, as he doesn't really fit in with the jerky jocks on his football team anymore, realizing that most of them are just dicks. <laughs> However, he can't quit football because he needs the scholarship, so he tries his best to fit in. But it takes his toll on him, and Zach becomes quite depressed. A few weeks later at a party, when a teammate offers him some cocaine, he decides to give it a try. Well, that took a turn I wasn't expecting. <laughs> yep, it's going yeah. a little bit dark. Wow, okay. No, okay. It's, it, it's logical, though. It makes sense. Yeah, you know. it'll. You know, he, uh, college isn't going to be as easy for Zach as high school was, so. Wow. The Freddie right. Prince Jr. minutes. He did not do cocaine <laughs> in this film. <laughs> All right, I like that. Yeah. All right, Phil. Well, how about your immediate aftermath? 
Okay, well, Lainey has been at art school for a year and her talent has grown. The events with Zach revitalized her life, giving her huge amounts of confidence. To mark the change she went through, she gets a butterfly tattoo. You know, it's in a, you know, she's she's blossomed, she's changed, she's become this beautiful, this beautiful butterfly who's very talented. Her art is a revelation, and critics have already been commenting on it. Zach went to a different college to study acting. He realized performing is what he wants to do. They keep their relationship going as best they can. They have their ups and downs, but their connection is always there. However, it is put to the test when Lainey has the opportunity to move to Paris to study art. At the airport, Zach tells Lainey to live life to the fullest and sees every opportunity she can. They kiss and say I love you to each other. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, Phil, you're, you're a big softy sometimes. Yeah, yeah, sometimes though. <laughs> yeah, I like it, I like it. Thank you. Well, what's going on then with uh, Zach? You know, he's turning to drugs. It's all gone requiem for a dream. Yes, a little bit. Well, well, you're not far off. Uh, when oh Thanksgiving, <laughs> <laughs> no. When Thanksgiving break comes around and Lainey comes home for the holiday, she's excited to see Zach. But Zach is a mess. He's fallen into pretty hard drug use and he's in serious trouble. His grades have fallen. He's been relegated to a bench warmer on the football team, and he's in danger of losing his scholarship. Lainey doesn't know what to do, and she has to return to school in four days, but she doesn't want to leave Zach in such a sorry state. So she reaches out to an unlikely source for help, reality star Brock Hudson. That's uh, ah. Matthew Lillard's character, for those of yeah, you who yeah. weren't paying yeah. attention. Having recently been featured in People magazine for overcoming his own alcoholism and drug addiction, and having been dumped by Zach's ex-girlfriend, Lainey hopes that Brock will be able to help. With newfound maturity, Brock listens to Lainey plead Zach's case, filling him in on everything they went through, and he ultimately agrees to help. After the holiday weekend, Lainey returns to school, uncertain of what the future holds, and hoping that Brock can give Zach the help he needs. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, that's nice. I like the way you bring, bring him back in. That's yeah, good. I tried. I like I like Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard together because of their Scooby-Doo connection. So yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to get them back on screen together. I always liked Matthew Lillard, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like both of them. They're, they're yeah, it was, like, it was good, good seeing him pop up in uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah. Okay, great. So how about your long-term, Phil? Let's hear how this all wraps up. Well, a, I've also got a post-credit scene as well. Oh, wow. So for for She's All That, I didn't see that coming. Well, yeah, I like we'll it. See. I like it. Okay, my long-term, Zach and Lainey had lost touch with each other over the next few years. Lainey's art career had gone from strength to strength, and she was becoming wealthy and respected. Zach was a jobbing actor. He had done some commercials and some minor TV roles, but nothing big. He'd moved to New York City as he'd got a role in an off-Broadway play and he thought this could be his big break. Lainey saw Zach's name on a poster for the, for the play and she went to see it and caught up with him afterwards. They went for coffee, some food and then walked the streets of New York City and talked all night. From then on their love grew back stronger than ever and Zach ended up moving into Lainey's apartment and they were happy. And that's my long term. Oh yeah, I like it. I like happy Thank endings. You. Well, there's the post-credit sequence. Oh, jeez, don't be a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on then with your long-term? How, how does Brock help Zach? All right. Well, over the next few weeks, Zach disappears from Lainey's life. He doesn't call. He doesn't email. He doesn't even comment on her MySpace page because, you know, it was 1999. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> MySpace, gotcha. See? I strive for authenticity. Wow. Ah. Uh, she gets more and more apprehensive as Christmas vacation approaches, and as soon as she gets out of her last class for the semester, she jumps in her car and rushes back home. She stops at Zach's house first, but he's nowhere to be found. So, dejected, she heads home, but when she walks through the door, she sees that her house has been transformed into a high school prom. There, in a full tuxedo and looking vibrant and healthy, is Zach. She rushes to him and kisses him, then asks why the hell he hasn't been in touch with her. <laughs> sorry, he says. Brock had me cut off all contact with the outside world while he helped me get my sorry ass back in shape. I'm all better now, Lainey, I promise. 
Don't do that to me again, okay? Lainey says. Zach promises he won't, and then he reveals that he's transferred to a smaller school in the town next to her art school. There, he'll get to be a starter on the football team, get a good education, and remain close to her while developing a healthier social presence and making new friends. Lainey is overjoyed, and the two of them dance the rest of the night away. Oh, I like it. There you go. So see, oh, I had nice, a yeah. little dark, you know, turn, but then it, it came around to a happy ending. Very nice, yeah. Thank you. Let's hear this post-credit scene of yours that you've got me intrigued yeah. by. So we have the music, da 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 post-credit sequence. A few years later, Zach is walking back to the apartments in New York City, and he sees a poster for a new Batman and Superman film. Cool, he thinks. He then sees people <laughs> rushing through the streets and more police cars. Passing an electrical store, he stops and looks at the news on a TV in the window. It's talking about the evacuation of the city. Something has been released into the air. Zach begins running as fast as he can to get back to Laney. And then it fades to black. I love it. <laughs> Told that, you. that is fantastic. All right. All right. Okay. That's good. Well, obviously, that's uh, going to lead directly into our, our next film, which I love that you tied the two of them together because I didn't think you could do that with two such disparate films. But Well, me neither. It was just as I was writing, yeah, writing the intro for the other one. I suddenly went, oh, hold on. Yeah. How can I work that in? But yeah, I like it. So. I like it very much. Thank you. Well, before we get to that film, though, Phil, I believe we have to get to some trivia. So it's time for all that trivia, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, some trivia. It was filmed at the same high school as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar starred in that. And and she co-starred with Freddie Prinze Jr. And I know what you did last summer. They're now married. And, you know, it's all lovely like that. So that was good. Uh, Zach's dad was a doctor and was played by Tim Matheson, who was in 1978's Animal House. At the end of the film, Matheson's character is said to move to California and becomes a doctor. So Animal House, she's all that. Oh, yeah, like a shared universe. Yes, yes. I like uh, it. Lainey Boggs comes from two Winona Ryder characters, uh, from Kim Boggs in Edward Scissorhands and Lainey Pierce in Reality Bites. Oh, very cool. Josh Hartnett was considered for the role of Zach and for the role of Lainey. They were looking at people like Lily Sobieski, Mina Savari and Jordana Brewster. They all auditioned for it. And it was also the film debut of Gabriel Union. And that's She's All That. Well, there you go. Nicely done. Thank you. All right. Well, you've already let us in so brilliantly with your post credit scene going into I Am Legend. But why don't you go ahead, Phil, and give us the breakdown. Remind people what happens in I Am Legend. Yes. I Am Legend, 2007, based on the, the excellent novel by Richard Matheson, which was written in 1954. Go read it if you haven't, because it's brilliant. I have not, actually, so I will check that out. It's a fantastic book. Uh, it's written, uh, directed by Francis Lawrence and stars Will Smith, Alice Bragger and Charlie Tahan. But it's uh, set in 2009 where a genetically re-engineered measles virus has developed to cure cancer. But, you know, as these things happen, it kills 94% of those it infects and mutates 5% into vampire-like creatures who are called dark seekers. And they're vulnerable to sunlight, but they, you know, they're nasty. Uh, 1% of those infected by the virus are immune. And one of those people is US Army virologist Robert Neville, who's played by Will Smith. And it's now three years later. He lives in a deserted New York City working on a cure. Everything's overgrown, uh, dilapidated, and it's just there's animals running around. Uh, he doesn't know if there are any uninfected humans in the city, but he sends a broadcast each night. Uh, lions and deers wander the streets, so it's a bit dangerous, but he, you know, he gets cool cars and drives around and hunts them and things. Uh, Neville and his dog Sam, they often go into the city for food and trips to the video store where he has conversations with the mannequins. Uh, at night, he barricades himself in his house to avoid the dark seekers. Neville makes headway into a treatment using his own blood. He captures a female dark seeker while a male dark seeker tries to follow, but is stopped by the sunlight. Neville ends up getting caught in a trap, but escapes. 
However, Sam the dog is infected and Neville has to kill the dog. And that was uh, that was quite a harsh emotional scene. Indeed. Feeling suicidal, Neville attacks some dark seekers, but he's rescued by two immune humans, a woman named Anna and a boy called Ethan. They had heard his broadcasts and were on their way to a survivor's camp in Vermont. The next night, dark seekers attack Neville's house. Neville discovers his treatment has cured the female dark seeker. He draws a vial of blood from the female and gives it to Anna. And he shuts Anna and Ethan in a coal chute and then kills the dark seekers and himself with a grenade. Anna and Ethan make it to the camp in Vermont where she gives the cure to them. However, there's also an alternative ending which is more in keeping with the book and makes sense with the whole I Am Legend title. And in the alternative ending, the male dark seeker attacks but leaves a butterfly on the lab glass. Neville realises it is the same as the tattoo on the female death seeker he has been treating. So Neville puts the gun down and releases the female. Neville apologises and the dark seekers leave. He still hasn't found a cure though. But he realises that the dark seekers retain some of their emotions and humanity. And so he understands that he is the monster in the dark seekers eyes. He is the legend. The next day Neville, Ethan and Anna drive away from the city leaving a new broadcast to any human survivors saying that they are not alone. That's I Am Legend. Very nicely done. Thank you. Yeah, so for my ending, I'm going to follow on from the alternative ending, my after the ending. Very cool. I'm actually going to stick with the original ending, it oh, turns out. Yeah, so one each, so that's good. Yeah, so it'll be like divergent paths. Yes. I like that. But, uh, yeah, so did you get on the uh, the butterfly tattoo as well? Because it mentioned, you know, the oh, alternative Oh, yeah. you son of a bitch. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's all I, li- I like that. Holy I mentioned cow. it early on that she had the butterfly. Yeah, there, so their love. Wow, Phil, you're bringing your A game tonight. I like it. Thank you. Yeah, so their love transcends even being mutated into you know. Oh man, I, f- I feel so like like lame right now. Like I just did not do the the legwork well, that I, you did for this episode, man. It's I just gotta no, step it's, it up. No, honestly, it just it was just I honestly didn't know what to do for. She's all that. And then I, I'd done I Am Legend, and it was just this thing with the butterfly and the fact they loved each other, you know, these two creatures. And as suddenly, as I was starting off, oh, uh, but she's I, all oh, that. I love it. I love yeah. that you, you, know, you made the two creatures, Laney and oh, Zach, like, oh, that's awesome. Now I'm jealous. So it, it goes from Animal House, she's all that, to I Am Legend. I love wow. it. Wow. So cool. <laughs> Thank you. Damn. I'm, I, I feel like I should have done more now. Oh, I just want to know, my ending could be absolutely crap, though. Well, that's true. I'm hoping yeah. it is. You Don't take see. that personally. That's it. Be positive. Be positive. That's it. Come on. Come on. <laughs> like, come so on. That... Buck up, little camper. My come my on. ending could be total crap. Yeah, Don't I, worry. I might not have. I might have only written a sentence for each one. It could be dreadful. Come on. Be positive. Okay, but that was a uh, that was the two endings for I Am Legend. So what's happening with your day after? Okay. Well, the young dark seeker watches as her alpha enters the building to try and save her beta. Not long after, there's a massive explosion. The Seeker cries out in anguish as she instinctively knows that her entire family unit has been lost. Unsure of what to do, the young Seeker finds shelter nearby, then curls up into a ball and puts herself through the physical hibernation process necessary to sleep through the day. When night falls again, the Seeker emerges, using her superior olfactory senses to locate the scent of the humans. It's faint, but she finally catches it, and with nothing to keep her in the city any longer, sets out to follow the human's trail. As the night progresses, the young dark seeker continues to follow the human scent. It's not an easy journey. Several times she loses it and has to backtrack to pick it up again. At one point, she comes up against a pack of wild dogs, clearly half-crazed with hunger, and there's a vicious battle with them to prevent her becoming their next meal. 
Several times she senses other seekers nearby, but she avoids them, as she does not want to be consecrated into another seeker unit. When she attempts to follow the human scent over a large bridge, a rusted-through panel gives way halfway across, and she is thrown into the raging waters below. Ooh, and then that's where we're going to leave it for now. No, I really like that. I like the fact where it's from the viewpoint of one of the dark seekers. Thanks. I was trying to do something, yeah, yeah. you know, a little creative with it. So that, that'd be that'd be really good seeing seeing it from a viewpoint of one of these things which we think are the monsters. Well, that's you know, it's yeah. funny because even though I follow the original ending because I wanted to have that explosion sort of kick things off. Yeah. Really, it's the it's the alternate ending which sort of informed my ending. You know, it sort of developed yeah, yeah, the idea yeah, behind out, it. Yeah. So it, it's mine's sort of a hybrid, I guess. But technically, it follows the actions of the of the, you know the 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 circumstances of the first ending. Yeah, but in your your after the ending, Neville's dead, though, isn't he? So yeah, or is he, yeah, okay. yeah, okay. All right, cool. cool. Well, let's hear then what you've got for uh, you know Laney and Zach, or anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> Anna and Neville. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, my day after, as I say, it's uh, Neville's alive, but he hasn't got the cure. So it's the alternative ending carries on from there. So Neville, Anna and Ethan make it to the survivors camp in Vermont. Neville tells those in charge about his discovery that the Darkseekers still have human emotions. At first, they don't believe him, but more evidence comes forth from other survivors that seems to back it up. Neville is still working on a cure, but he will no longer experiment on the Darkseekers. He decides to try and make contact and ask if the Darkseekers will help him cure them. The leaders of the camp advise Neville against that course of action as his knowledge is too valuable and it also sounds a bit stupid. <laughs> However, Neville ignores them and heads out with Anna. They find a small town and set up a defensible position in a building near a known Darkseeker colony. Neville and Anna spend the first few nights watching the colony and notice signs of a social structure. A few nights later, Neville decides to go out and have a chat with them. That's my day after. Oh, well, I can see how this could go either really well or horribly <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, then, so that was uh, my day after. What's happening with your immediate aftermath? Okay, well, the young seeker manages to fight her way to shore, but she must rest as she's exhausted. When she recovers, she picks up the human scent again and sets out after them. A few hours later, the seeker arrives where the human scents are lost, mingled with hundreds of other human scents. It's a large human-walled city. Behind it, a sign she can't read proudly proclaims, Welcome to Vermont, the Green Mountain State. Now the young seeker is at a loss. She followed the humans out of instinct, but now that she's arrived at their settlement, she doesn't know what to do. If she approaches the compound, she knows instinctively she'll be killed. Plus, she's starting to get hungry, and once the hunger overtakes her, she knows that she will no longer be in control of her actions. She manages to catch a small rabbit and feed on it, staving off the wilding for a bit longer. And then, with no other options, she runs out into the clearing in front of the human dwelling. And that's Ooh, my immediate aftermath. I like that. Thanks. Mm. All right. Well, let's hear yours then. What do you got for your immediate aftermath? Okay. Well, it took over a week of trying and some near-death experiences, but Neville had finally <laughs> got through to the Dark Seekers. As with the group in New York City, they seemed to be led by an alpha male. Neville and Anna shared some food, meat, and blood with the Dark Seekers and put down their weapons to get through that they meant no harm. Now here they sat facing each other. The only light was from the moon. Neville had tried talking to the dark seekers, but they did not respond. They simply stared. Neville, now frustrated, began to shout, but Anna managed to calm him down before he angered the dark seekers. Neville took a deep breath and then said, I'm just trying to help you. I may be able to cure you. The dark seeker leader looked at Neville and took a step closer. Cure us, it said, its voice like nails on a blackboard. Why would we want to be cured? That's my immediate aftermath. Oh, intense. Thank you. That's what's going on then with your long term. Okay, well, within seconds, floodlights snap on and a flurry of yelling and activity erupts from the compound. 
Knowing that her life is likely at an end, she mimics a human behavior she saw once and throws her hands up in the air, then throws herself on the ground. Wait, a woman's voice yells out. There's something different about this one. A few moments later, Anna emerges from the compound, flanked by heavily armed soldiers. There, there, she says soothingly, and as she gets closer, she pulls out a syringe and injects the seeker. The seeker's world goes black. A short amount of time later, the seeker opens her eyes. She slowly regains her senses, and as her vision comes into focus, she sees the woman who injected her. It's okay, Anna says. You're safe now. Do you have a name? The seeker looks around and then catches a strange reflection in a mirror. It looks like herself, but she looks human. Then she hears a strange noise. It's a voice, and the voice is saying, My name is Emma. With a start, she realizes the voice came from her. And that's my after the ending. Wow. Oh, no, I really like that. Thanks. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, that's a great journey. I thought I thought it was kind of yeah. fun. You know, I thought it'd be cool oh, to kind of shake things up a little bit and give us a, a different perspective. Yeah, and it shows that the cure's working as well. Yeah, exactly. So kind of Brilliant. a happy, happy ending. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm down with it. Cool. All right, well, let's hear how yours ends because I want to hear about this uh, not-so-benevolent uh, <laughs> dark seeker who we got here. Well, okay, yeah. Well, uh, my long term then is five years later and the immune human population was growing. The camp in Vermont had grown so big they'd had to move to the suburbs of the nearest city. Now Robert Neville and Anna were part of the ruling council. Life was still hard, but they had managed to set up some farms so fresh food was becoming less of a problem. The rest of the council was composed of three other humans and five dark seekers, mm. including the female dark seeker with the butterfly tattoo. Her, her name was uh, her name was Lainey Bogmonster, I believe. <laughs> yeah, Lainey Bogmonster. That's it. <laughs> Sorry. That's it. <laughs> I like that. I couldn't resist. Oh, no, brilliant. <laughs> uh, it turns out that the Dark Seekers had set up their own society, as many of them had retained quite a bit of their humanity and memories, and they'd brokered peace with Neville. There were still packs of feral Dark Seekers, but the coalition of humans and Dark Seekers hunted them down. Those captured, if they could understand what was being told them, were given the option of rehabilitation or the cure. Neville had perfected the cure, but it was only given to those Dark Seekers who requested it. Often those that retained the memories of their old life took it, but on the whole, those that did take the cure were low. Instead, the survivors of both sides worked together, and so it was that humanity in all its forms walked the earth, some in the sun, but most in the darkness. Oh, I like it. A very poetic ending, I think. Thank you. I like the way you did that. Well, Phil, I've heard you say on more than one occasion, I am trivia, so what do you got for I am legend? Oh, dear God. Dear God. <laughs> Any other podcasts out there want another post? Because, you know... <laughs> Just remember, I made you because I, I took that bet. <laughs> you did take that bet, damn. <laughs> okay, uh, trivia. When Neville sees the Fred mannequin, as they call it, on the street, it looks like its head moves. During the scene, a man replaced the mannequin to mess with the audience's head. So that's, ah. you know, was that did really move. It cost $5 million for a six-night shoot in New York City involving Brooklyn Bridge, and they needed approval of 14 government agencies and had a crew of 250 people and a thousand extras. I, I honestly can't figure out how that they made that happen logistically. Like, yeah. trying to get 14 government agencies to agree on anything, on you know, I just, I don't understand it. <laughs> uh, and it, that's the scene as well as a big, there's a helicopter as well, isn't there? Yeah, that's yeah. Scene, yeah, yeah. Uh, Guillermo del Toro turned down the offer to direct the film so he could make Hellboy 2 the Golden Army. And I think that's a bit of a shame. I would have liked to see del Toro's version of Iron Legend. Sure. Uh, Willow Smith plays Will Smith's daughter in the film. People just joining us. Willow Smith is Will Smith's actual daughter. <laughs> right. At various points in the film's development over many, many years, Neville could have been played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, 
Nicolas Cage, Tom Cruise, Michael Douglas, Mel Gibson, Daniel Day-Lewis, or Kurt Russell. Interesting. Yes, and uh, that's it. All right. I'm you know, uh, we never really talked about Phil. Do you do you like I Am Legend? Uh, I, I love I love the book. Uh, I like uh, the uh, the Amiga Man, which is based on it, which starred Charlton Heston. Right. Uh, and there's the one with Vincent Price, The Last Man on Earth. Yep, yep. So I like a lot. And I Am Legend, uh, I do. I, th- I enjoy the bit at the, s- the start when he's by himself. Uh-huh. I think I think, I think think like the first half, and then I don't know what it is about the second half that doesn't quite... I don't I, I don't love it. I thought I'd love it or like it more than I actually do. Okay. But I, I, I enjoy it, but right. it's something it just doesn't... I feel like there's something missing, but I, I don't know what it is. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, what about you? You know, I, I really like it actually. I, admittedly, I have not seen it in in you know quite a few years now. But um, I, I, as a, as a purely as a popcorn film, I thought it was pretty fantastic. Like I, I you know people complain about it a lot, and I never quite understood that. I, I yeah, guess you yeah. know it's got I, I I'm sure it has its flaws or whatever. But I, I always thought it's just a good fun way to kill two hours. I, I was pretty down with it. Now, admittedly, post apocalyptic films of any type tend to be you know my wheelhouse. I mean that is really my one of my absolute favorite genres. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really fun movie and I, I enjoy it quite a bit so I think I like it more than most people I'll, I'll venture to say. I like as well reading the book by Max Brooks at World War Z uh-huh. yep. I like how they sort of reference the Iron Legend concept of the last man alive where some of the soldiers going around they say they often get fired on by these people in the cities who think that the last person alive you know after the zombie apocalypse I just I like that imagery of these people who are in a city thinking oh I'm the only one I'm the only one right right and right. yet if, if they just move you know five ten miles out the right. comfort zone right. or the safe zone, they'd uh, meet up with other people. Yeah. Admittedly, I ha- uh, you know, going back to the original book, I have not read it. So had I read it, maybe that would color my opinion of the film. Yeah. But, the main problem, you know. though, was with the original ending is because the whole point of it is he finds out that, you know, he goes out that he's killing all these creatures. Right. But they, they're basically, they're talking to each other going, oh, my God, there's this thing which comes out at night and kills us. Right, right. And yeah, so yeah I realized, can see how that, yeah. you know, is a little bit lost with the original, yeah. the original ending. But yeah, yeah, but I like it. I think it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. All right. Well, that is She's All That and I Am Legend, our pronoun title double feature. Uh, both movies <laughs> with pronouns in the titles, not something we get to do that often. Uh, ha- yeah. Happy coincidence. Uh, but let's move on then to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein we take a single year from the past century of Hollywood and share our top 10 favorite films. And this week we are talking about the aforementioned 2008. So, Phil, why don't you climb in your famous time machine, dial that dial back a decade or so and tell us what the world was like in 2008 yeah well it was uh, the uk prime minister was gordon brown and the u.s president was george w bush uh, and i'm going to leave out all most of the bad news stuff that's fine. so so there's not actually that much good stuff but uh, <laughs> it's a shorter list than normal great but uh, iran opened its first space center and launched a rocket into space uh, the Summer Olympics were in Beijing, China. Uh, proton beams circulated for the first time in the Large Hadron Collider and maybe started the whole uh, Mandela effect, for right. what we know. Right. Uh, an extra leap second was added to the end of the year, and NASA's Phoenix spacecraft was the first to land on the northern polar region of Mars, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But also, we did lose some legends. Okay. They saw the deaths of Heath Ledger, Edmund Hillary, Bobby Fischer, Roy Scheider, Arthur C. Clarke, Paul Schofield, Gary Gygax, who created Dungeons and Dragons, yep, which I yep. love. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlton Heston, Richard Widmark, Sidney Pollack, George Carlin, Bo Diddley, Sid Charisse, Isaac Hayes, Bernie Mac, and Paul Newman. Wow, a tough year. Some big names there. Yeah, indeed. But that's uh, that's 2008. Okay, well, Phil, why don't you kick things off then and give us your number 10? Yeah, well, as we said at the start, it was a hard year because, because of the film choices. So my, 
my my number ten, which surprised me as well, is uh, Adam Sandler's "You Don't Mess with the Zohan." Wow. Yeah, I know. Seriously. Yeah, I didn't think I remember it was that wa- bad of a year. No, it's, I, it's, I remember <laughs> watching it because the the only Happy Gilmore I really like, and after that, yeah, no, I agree. Adam Sandler films, although some of his more serious stuff, I need to watch the new The Merowitz stories because he's meant to be good in that. Right. But uh, yeah, most of the comedies just died to death. But I watched this with some friends, and you know, sometimes when a film just catches you unaware, and it's, I know it's stupid, it's probably a bit offensive in many ways, but uh, right, right. I, I just, just we just laughed all the way through. All right. Yeah, I, th- I think we were drinking beer. Okay, well that may I was gonna say maybe that helped a little because I I watched it sober. Yeah, and I have to yeah. say it didn't come anywhere even close to making my list. <laughs> the only yeah. thing I like yeah. about that movie is Emmanuel Shrieky is in it, and as we all know, I, I may have a little bit of a crush on her. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but well, right, I don't fair know. Enough. I think it was just it was just you know in some moments you know the whole. Listen, I put Jack and, and Jill on a list once, so yeah, uh, not a top ten list, Ooh. but it was on some. Ooh. I think it was on. A, I don't remember what it was, but 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 listen, if I can put Jack and Jill, you can certainly put uh, Zohan. Yeah. But yeah, I was also I was surprised they made the list. Yeah, all right. That, that, that tells <laughs> okay. you what kind of year two thousand eight was. Yeah. Okay. What about your? What's your your first one? All right. Well, we seem to we seem to keep coming back to the topic of religion this episode. I'm not entirely sure why, but uh, my number ten film is Religious, uh, which is a documentary of sorts by Bill Maher. Oh yeah, yeah. I've never. I've, I need to watch that. Yeah, I'm not a giant Bill Maher fan, so this isn't like one of those movies where I'm like, oh, I'll, anything Bill Maher does, I love. Uh, you know, I, I find him hit or miss, but this movie is, you know, him as an atheist coming from a religious family, going out and exploring the world of religion through some of the more um, unusual facets of, of religion, like going to one of these religious theme parks and interviewing, you know, taking footage of things that happen there and talking yeah, to people yeah. about their faith. And it's sort of a cross between kind of maybe slightly debunking religion and also just sort of trying to get a handle on why people believe in it so firmly, um, which is a, a topic I find interesting. But it's it's a very funny film. It's got a lot of humor in it, uh, but it does raise some really good questions. And it certainly showcases some uh, very unique people and some very unique beliefs. So uh, probably not a film for the the diehard faith people out there, but uh, if you're not one of them, I really do recommend this movie. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I do like a feature documentary. That's one I've been meaning to watch for a long time. So Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I'll get around to that. Okay, well, my number nine, it's another one, uh, another comedy one I wasn't expecting, but it's Sack and Mary Make a Porno, the Kevin Smith film. Oh, right, right. Good choice. It's on Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks. And I do, I do like Kevin Smith films. And yeah, yeah. I like Seth, Seth Rogen, Elizabeth Banks. I love the chemistry they have together and the fact that these two people, the two characters, end up falling in love while they're making a porn film to make some money. It just, it's a crazy concept, but I, th- I think they did it so well. And again, there was some moments just laughing so much. Yeah. And just, it's a really, and, and I want to say it's a really nice film. Right. And nice, right. Saying nice always is a bit of a cop-out, but also the fact that it's about people making a porno, but it's a nice film sort of works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But that's that's my number nine. All right, I like it. Well, my number nine is is probably would appear on some people's lists higher, and it certainly is a movie that I enjoy. But it's uh, it's Michael Haneke's Funny Games, which is the American remake of his own film. Um, stars Ryan Gosling and uh, Naomi Watts, and it's about these two twisted teenage kids who come to this couple's vacation house and basically barge in and start to terrorize them. Um, it's not a very it's not a horror movie per se. It's not a very violent film. It's meant to be sort of a commentary on on-screen violence. Um, and I like it a lot, but it does some weird things. You know, it does this sort of breaking of the fourth wall thing. Oh, yeah. yeah um, you can't look away and they rewind it, don't they? Yeah, yeah but what's weird like to me is they don't do it enough. Like, it's a it's a thing where they, they have this sort of conceit and it, it only happens like once or twice. So you're sort of like, 
wait, what just happened? And I feel like it didn't go far enough to really make the point. And so it, mm. I don't know. It's um, and maybe I'm just thick, but I, I, I get what he was going for with it. I wish it had been a, a slightly better. But but that all being said, I I really do like the film quite a bit. I think Ryan Gosling. I think it's Michael Pitt as the other young kid. Is, is yeah, that's right. That's uh, they're both really it, fantastic. It? Tim Roth is in it, and he's great. So it's it's a great film. It's just it's you know it's not one I found cause to revisit often over the years. Even though I do really yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, I've seen both versions of that. And I understand the well-made films and well-acted, but they just don't. I think it's the the hell, you know, it's the yeah, it's an uncomfortable film to watch. Yeah, it's it's the uncomfortable thing. I find myself as I get older, I find them harder to watch those kind of films. Sure, uh, I get you. Okay, my number eight is Rambo. Oh, where okay? (laughs) Yeah, Sylvester. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone's one where he's you know he's come back. He's old. uh, The fourth film in the franchise, twenty years on from the other ones. And I wasn't expecting much. Then it delivered Again, perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Again, though, it just seems to, I don't know, I don't know what it was. It, it's, yeah, 2008 for me was like a load of lackluster films, which just seems to just, just, I, I think I was just in the right spot at the time when I watched them. I remember just going, oh, well, what's this? And then I think the bit when he just opens fire with the, the machine gun on the back of the Jeep and there's just blood everywhere. I think that's the whole movie you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, I, it's just Rambo hit me hard. That's what it was. <laughs> so that's what he does. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm obviously we everyone knows I'm a big, huge Sylvester Stallone fan, and I, I yeah, love the yeah. Rambo movies. And so I was super excited when this film came out, and I I hated it with a passion. I mean, it is to me, and I'm not trying to tear down your pick, but it, to yeah, me, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was it was two hours of mind numbing violence. It's literally him with a machine gun, and all I remember is just like a stream of bullets and a and a fine red mist because it's just <laughs> it's just him shooting people for two hours. I mean, it took everything about the original films that was yeah, but he's also on a boat with those people <laughs> yeah, for a little bit, right. and he's he's crawling around a camp at night. Oh man, I but then I, there's all the machine gun stuff. God, yeah. I really hated it so much. I, I remember seeing it in theaters on opening night and just like slowly becoming more and more horrified like what have i got it's like a torture porn film like like hostile it's like it makes that look like a rom-com it's just it's so <laughs> brutal um so i know I, I get you and i'm glad you enjoyed it but i, I really yeah, hated yeah. that film so it's not on my list <laughs> spoiler oh, no, fair enough yeah no because i know lots of people it didn't do very well no lots of people didn't like it yeah gosh i just i really wanted to see him take that character back and i just i hated it so much yeah yeah all right, well, my number eight is The Wrestler, starring Mickey Rourke and directed by Darren Aronofsky, one of probably the few films of his that I can truly say that I really, really like. Um, but uh, it's great. You know, I've always – I'm not a wrestling fan per se, but I've always found the world of wrestling completely fascinating. The whole – how it's, you know, how it's all planned out and they have the good guys and the bad guys and, and the way it's, you know, it's sort of fake, but it's also sort of not because people are really getting hit by chairs and yeah, thrown onto yeah. mats and stuff. And this movie sort of really opened that up and gave a glimpse into how things worked. And I, I thought it was fantastic. And it really was sort of, you know, Mickey Rourke's kind of – renaissance comeback picture you know he had sort of been relegated to like b movies by this point and then he threw himself into this role uh completely and i i just thought it was a phenomenal movie and i, I really i really liked it a lot so that's my number eight excellent that's a good choice uh, my number seven is uh let the right one in the swedish horror film directed by thomas alfredson where there's a little boy in the suburbs of stockholm uh where he sees a young girl move in and strange events start happening and it's vampires and People getting caught on fire, and uh, I've got I've got uh, family in, in Stockholm. Hello, Richard and David, if you're listening. <laughs> hi. I know Richard sometimes listens when he's walking around the lake. So if you're listening to, to this one, hi. Well, good. Watch out for that. You know, don't don't fall in the lake. Yeah, don't be so surprised <laughs> hearing your name that yeah. you fall in the lake. Yeah, but uh, I, I just I just like the whole atmosphere of it more than anything. It just seems to have this uh, 
it's it's cold like the snow but there's also this this warmth with this lonely boy finally makes a connection but it turns out it's you know it's a it's a really old vampire who looks like a little girl but i just like i just like it's that it just there's some great scenes you know creatures you know people dying people getting hunted but also there's, it's it's the it's the other scenes though between the boy and the girl you know and how they connect and just these two lonely people just come together i just i just like the way it was done well, listen. It's a very, a very well respected film. I mean, critics went nuts over it. And a lot of, a lot of people I know who are hardcore like film enthusiasts who tracked it down. You know, because Swedish films aren't exactly the mainstream here in America. But um, mm-hmm. I, I know very, very many people who really like that film, and that's why I got called an asshole uh, <laughs> on social media early on because I really don't like this movie at all. And I remember at one point I was debating it with somebody and I had mentioned that I liked Twilight, uh, but I hated this movie. And somebody just said, well, <laughs> you're an asshole then. And I was like, well, sorry, but I just don't understand why the kid had to be naked all the time and why he couldn't just wipe his nose. Just wipe your nose. Oh, yeah, just that's true. wipe yeah. your nose. What yeah. on earth makes you think I want to watch a movie for two hours with this kid with snot dripping down his nose through the yeah, entire yeah. film? It made me insane. I, I'm just not a fan. And I didn't like no, the I, American remake either. I, I wasn't. I didn't really like the remake, but yeah, I understand how the snot. God, just but, wipe your yeah. freaking nose. I d- yeah. So I, I I recognize that there's some interesting concepts in the film, but I just really didn't didn't like yeah. it. I, c- I can understand why people wouldn't like it. They're not just for the snot and things like that. But yeah, I, it just it just I, I think it worked well for me. Yeah, you are wrong. You are wrong for liking Twilight. Though. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, my number seven is a tie, uh, and it is a tie between two uh, superhero movies of a sort, and it is hand. Which we went after the ending of not that long ago, and yeah, yeah. the Incredible Hulk. Uh, that would be the Edward Norton one, not the uh, not the Ang Lee Eric Bana one. Um, yeah. Hancock was we, we've talked about it before. It's a really fun kind of unique take on on superheroes. I, I like the whole story concept. I thought Will Smith was great. Um, yeah. And then the Incredible Hulk. I, I, it's not in terms of Marvel movies. It's not one of their best, but. I really love like the last hour of that film where it just turns into a gigantic CGI slugfest between the Hulk and yeah. the Abomination. Um, there are a few nice uh, like Marvel Easter eggs throughout the whole film, but really it just boils down to the fact that when I was watching that movie in theaters and on the big screen watching this gigantic you know, Hulk and this gigantic Abomination just tearing up the city and beating the crap out of each other, I was having so much fun. So uh, it's not, like I said, it's not a great, great movie, but as far as just entertainment goes... It's really enjoyable. So those are my yeah. number seven. It's a, it's a lot better than uh, than lots of people make out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, my number six is a double whammy. It's Hellboy Two: The Golden Army and The Incredible Hulk. Oh, very good. Uh, so Hellboy Two, I do I do like uh, I, I like the character of Hellboy in the comics. I did like the films, although uh, I, I felt with both of the, the Hellboy films, there's an awful lot of build up, and then suddenly the film seems to end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If there'd been a bit more to it, it probably would have been higher on the list. But my, the greatest thing though about it is when uh, my daughter was, she was like two or three when it came out. So she go, so when I had it on Blu-ray, uh, for some reason, she really liked the start bit when you see young, young Hellboy, and she she just liked the character. I just has good memories of watching that with her. Right, right. Because it's uh, even the even the crazy bits. She was she was, she was digging that. Sure. She was a little kid. She didn't understand, but she really like she really likes the film, and she's uh, she's looking forward to seeing the new Hellboy when she gets a chance. But we did do an after the ending for Hellboy two. Oh, that's right. So that's right. That was did. back in episode thirty. Yep. So go back and listen to that because I quite like what we both came up with. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But uh, so yeah, no, it's uh, Hellboy two and the Incredible Hulk. Like you say, I just it was great seeing the Hulk. You know, done well. We had the Ang Lee one. Didn't have much Hulk in, but this one we had lots of Hulk. 
I thought uh, don't make Edward me Norton angry. You wouldn't like me yeah, on an Ang Lee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's uh, Stuart Lee, the comedian, talking to Ang Lee, doing that. Too. Yeah, That's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, I, 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 I really enjoyed it, and I wish I don't know why it didn't do better. Yeah, because it's not as bad as lots of people seem to make out. I, I think honestly, the stink of that first film was still on it, and people really were burned by that by that the, yeah, the, yeah. the Ang Lee movie. I think you're right. I'm still not sure. What do you think about? Would you like to have seen Edward Norton carry on? Uh, you know, I would have been fine. I would have been fine with it because I thought he did a perfectly good job in it. But I do yeah, think yeah. that Mark Ruffalo has really, really made that role his own. And I, I do, especially with between Avengers and between Thor Ragnarok, uh, he's yeah. really, really had a lot of fun with that role. So I, I do think that he's a better fit for the Marvel universe at large. Edward Norton, I love him. Yeah. Um. But you know, I, I, I would have been fine with it if he continued. But I certainly have no qualms about. Ruffalo taking over the role. Yeah, Ruffalo is also really good for the promotion side of a uh, right, Cinematic much University. more so than I think Edward Norton might be. Yeah, he's not afraid afraid to dress up in a Hulk suit and make <laughs> fool of himself. Right, right, exactly. Is, uh, but that's uh, then my number six, two superhero ones, of big angry people. Very the one's good. red, Very one's good. green. All right, I like it. All right, well, my number six is a film that uh, probably nobody's heard of. It is called Tell No One. Uh, it is a French movie, and I've been That's saying why nobody's heard of it. Yeah, cause, cause, exactly. It's uh, I've been saying for a long time that the the French French filmmakers have been making the best thrillers for the past decade, hands oh, down. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and Tell No One is one of them. I believe it's based on a Harlan Coben novel. Uh, he's a very popular novelist, and it's uh, it's about this this doctor whose wife was murdered eight years before, and when a discovery of two bodies turns up some new clues, he's he's thrust back into the spotlight as a suspect. But at the same time, he gets an email that reveals that his wife might actually be alive so he has to go on the run try and prove his innocence and see if he can save his wife if she's even still alive all at the same time it is fantastic it is pulse pounding i mean fingernail biting and it stars francois Clouzet, who is probably my favorite french actor he's kind of like the the french version of i don't know who but uh he was in yeah. the the untouchables which was my number one uh oh yeah yeah a few episodes back and he's just fantastic so even though it's in french it's totally worth watching uh, it's a really great thriller and i i love it i remember i remember the trailer for that but never got to see it yeah it's definitely worth tracking down it's a good flick oh yeah i have to I have to watch that i do like a good french thriller okay well my number five it's another double whammy because i thought they were quite similar and i just Want to have them included? It's Pineapple Express and Tropic Thunder. Jesus Christ, man! <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We, we are, we we are definitely not in sync in our in our 2008. I can say that. I know. Much, but continue, I know. continue. I will I will let you go first. Because uh, yeah, Pineapple Express. I, I it's another it's a stoner comedy. Seth Rogen and James Franco. I I liked I liked the two characters the way they were. You know, it was Seth Rogen's goes on this adventure with his drug dealer. So they weren't actually friends, but they end up becoming friends as it goes on. And it just, I quite like the fact the violence in it was proper proper violence. There's people getting killed in hideous ways and there's lots of blood, which I wasn't expecting in a stoner comedy. But it, it did make, again, it made me laugh. I watched it with a few friends, made me laugh. And Tropic Thunder, I was hoping I'd like it a lot more than I did. Yeah. Because the cast involved, it didn't quite... The first time I saw it at the cinema, I was thinking I, I came out really disappointed and, and didn't enjoy it. But I've watched it a few times since when it's come on TV, and it's I've enjoyed it more with each viewing. And uh, I love uh, Tom Cruise in it. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, not super. And, and there's just some some really great funny bits. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is really good. As I say, I didn't like it, but as it's got, as time's gone on, 
I've enjoyed it with each viewing. So that's my number five, those two. All right. Well, Tropic Thunder's okay. I, I like you, I really wanted to like it more than I did because the yeah. trailers for it were fantastic. But oh, no. It's, and it's, it's just it's too long it's, and not yeah. funny enough. Yeah. Um, but man, do I hate Pineapple Express <laughs> so much. I really hate that movie. I, I mean, I'm not a big fan in general of the, the stuff that comes out of Judd Apatow's whole production circle. But yeah, that's, I mean, no, I'm not normally. That's the bottom of, of the list for me. I, You know how I've said how many times I, how I've said like I really hate Danny McBride? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the reason why. Because his oh, his character in that movie is is like Walter Sobchak in The Big Lebowski. Like every time he was on screen, <laughs> I literally wanted to reach through the screen and strangle him because I hated him so much. And he should have yeah. died about seventeen times. Oh God. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I just I don't like Seth Rogen. And I thought James Franco was great in that film. Like I thought he was really good in his role. Yeah, because it was so, it was a, I'd never seen him like in a role like that before. Right, but uh, yeah, oh, not not a fan. So, okay. Anyway, just that's all. <laughs> well, so Pineapple Express, I'll put it on our list for films to do after the ending. Because oh. I imagine a bus driver will be in that one. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> all right. Well, my number five is a comedy also of sorts. It's a dramedy, I would say. And it is Charlie Bartlett starring the late, much-missed Anton Yelchin oh, yeah. and yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, and it's about this kid who's a little too smart for his own good and his home life is a mess and he, he's been thrown out of every rich private school he's ever gone to. So now he's in public school, so he decides to team up with his bully and become sort of the uh, school psychiatrist and sell prescription drugs to the student body. And Robert Downey Jr. plays the principal who sort of basically kind of tries to help him slash stop him. Um, it's a really fun, charming, charming film. I, th- I think Anton Yelchin is brilliant in it. It was sort of the movie that put him on my radar. Um, and it came out, I don't remember if it came out right before or right after Iron Man, but it was definitely when Robert Downey Jr., it was, it was I think it was before. because I, I Yeah, I think it was. It, he wasn't all of a sudden a big star again yet. And I remember yeah, watching yeah. it and thinking, man, Robert Downey Jr., it's good to see him again. And, and he's really good in this role. And I think he's going to do well. <laughs> Obviously, that worked out okay for him. Yeah, you forget there was that whole phase of Robert Downey Jr. wasn't big. I remember seeing him on Ali McBeal. And then he was fired from Ali McBeal because yeah. of drugs. Yeah, right, right. I mean, a long time he was a bit of a pariah. So Charlie yeah. Bartlett, to me, sort of marked his comeback. And then, of course, he just exploded from there. But uh, it's a really fun little film, and I like it a lot. Great performances and just a smart, smart movie. Yeah. Yeah, I remember watching it. Uh, but I don't know. There was something about it which irritated me. Really? Yeah, not, not nothing big. But you know when there's just something? You have to, yeah, you I'm can't quite sure put the, your finger on it. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure it was the main character because I do like Anton Yelchin, but... I don't know if he was a bit too smart. I need to watch it again. But I remember the time just thinking there was something a little niggling where I was just going, nah, something's, something's bugging me about this. Fair enough. Okay, though. Uh, my number four is another one you probably don't like. It's uh, it's Wally or Wally, Wally from uh, Pixar. Okay. Yeah, so I'll, I'll I, I let you talk like, about it first. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I just liked, I like the whole character. I prefer the bits when it's just Wally on the planet, on, on Earth, trash strewn planets, and his, his little bug friend. I thought it was nice. And then when uh, Eve turns up, then when he just falls in love, it was just uh, the, the character of Wally. I just always amazes me with all animation, how they can make these animated figures, you know, have so much emotion, but especially so with Wally when he's basically just a pair of binoculars on a, an extendable neck thing. I just don't understand how they get so much emotion out of him. It took me a long time to see it. When I did, I just I just thought it was it was great. I loved it. I loved the whole design of everything, even the axiom and the fat humans, but uh, I really enjoyed it. And now over to Mike about Wally. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't dislike Wally. I, I, let me say that first off the bat. I think Wally is a, a fine film. Uh, I don't think it's a great film, and I, it's one of the it's one of the movies 
that really, to me, highlights the problem with Pixar for for a while. I mean, the the bloom is kind of off that rose now a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. For a while there, it was like every time Pixar put out a movie, it, it was automatic. Critics loved it. It was a huge hit. And not just a while, for like a decade, you know, and everyone yeah. was like, oh, my God, Pixar is brilliant. And WALL-E is, is a masterpiece. And I watched it and I was like, eh, it was OK. I had some fun parts, kind of too long. And, you know, the beginning is better than the rest of it. Yeah. 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 I just wasn't that impressed by it. I thought it was it was fine. It was a, it was a good enough movie. I've, I've seen it once and I've never needed to watch it again. Like that to me is not a great movie. That's a, 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 yeah. a good movie. But everyone was like, oh, my God, Pixar is so brilliant. And it's like, eh, let's maybe back up off the Pixar stuff a little bit because they're not really that great. <laughs> Uh, and that to me was just sort of indicative of that. So I think my problem with Wally is more the reception to it than the film itself. Yeah, yeah. No, I can I can understand that because yeah, you're right. There was that time when every Pixar film came out, people were just saying, "This is amazing." Yeah, like Ratatouille. Really, Ratatouille is a masterpiece. Like, come on, people. Like, let, let's. It's not. Yeah. So no, it's yeah. Not. So what, Wally's fine, but not on my list. No, fair enough. Well, my number four is a a misunderstood classic, if ever there was one, and it, it gets like my my cars pick for the twenty five years from now. People will realize how brilliant this movie is, and it is the Wachowski brothers Speed Racer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not a big fan of Speed Racer, uh, the cartoon. I, I didn't really grow up watching it. I remember seeing it some when I was a kid. I kind of thought it was lame, even when I was a kid. So I wasn't expecting that much, but I, I thought that the trailers for this movie looked amazing, and of course it was the Wachowskis post the Matrix. So I was very interested in seeing it. Um, and I absolutely love this film. It is so much fun. And I know there are a few people out there. I, I do have one friend who's much like me who knows its brilliance. Um, and uh, it, it was critically maligned. It was a huge box office flop. But I think it's definitely got a growing sort of cult of people who have seen it and recognize that it's just this really fun, really visually striking, you know, film that that does a lot right and is a much, much better movie than people think it, it's going to be. So uh, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. And if you have seen it, I hope you're one of the people who realizes that it's a great film. Yeah, I remember watching that. I saw it like in bits of it. I've, I don't think I've seen it all the way through in one sitting, but I've seen it. Yeah. But uh, I remember watching I really liked the visual style of it. Oh, I liked all the actors as well. Yeah, that's one I need to I need to sit down and It's have a it's watch a of. lot of fun yeah. if you watch it start to finish. And it's rated PG, so you can watch it with your daughter and I think she'd really like yeah, it. Yeah. I have it actually in my pile of movies to watch with the kids, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'll have to yeah, that's a good one to watch. Okay. Well my win my top three now. So my number three is and I know we give Christopher Nolan well I give Christopher Nolan a bit of a bashing, but it's uh, the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Because I I did enjoy it, although it's a bit over long. They should have had the two faces at the next film instead of, you know, eight years later and he's got a busted knee and he suddenly gets the thing on. Oh my God, Dark Knight Rises, what were you thinking? <laughs> but the, anyway, the Dark Knight though, I was good. I, I really enjoyed. Heath Ledger, of course, is the Joker. It wasn't the Joker that any of us were expecting, but it fitted in with this this Nolan verse, as they're calling it. And he did an amazing job. The, open, the opening sequence, the bank robbery, is just a stunning piece of cinema the way it is. That's just, that's a whole story. Yeah. Uh, Christian Bale as Batman. You know, he's actually doing a bit more Batman in it, which was nice. Uh, and we, we saw, you know, he has the sonar thing, so we finally see a Batman on screen with the white eyes like he has in the comic books, which I really like. I would have liked to have seen even more Batman, but I always want to see more Batman in a Batman film. But I, I thought this was this was good. It probably it might have been higher on my list. I know it's in my three, so it's pretty high anyway. But if they just the running time, it just loses... Once the the Joker's captured, it just I just feel it just goes, which comes to a you know almost a standstill. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. It, it actually did not make my list, and it's for all the reasons you just said. I like the film, but it's yeah. it's two films that it didn't need to be, and the, the Two Face stuff should have been held off for the next for the next film. Yeah, if yeah. it had just been the Joker, uh, I think it would be on my list, and it'll be very high on my list because it has some great moments, but it's definitely a very flawed film in my opinion. My number three is a film that has already appeared on your list, and it is Hellboy Two. I liked Hellboy a lot in the comics at the time when the first film came out, but I, I haven't really stuck with it. He hasn't turned out to be a long-term comic favorite of mine. But I, I really didn't love the first film, I'll be honest. When I saw the first film, I was very underwhelmed by it. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. I, I liked the first time I saw it, but every time I've seen it since... I don't enjoy it as much as I did. Yeah, and so I didn't have high expectations for Hellboy 2, and I kind of went you know, into it and just thinking, all right, this is going to be another you know, mediocre sort of Hellboy movie. I just, I'm not that into Hellboy, I think is what it is. Um, yeah. And then I absolutely loved Hellboy 2. I really thought it was fantastic. <laughs> it's just visually so amazing, and I, I love the action and the spectacle and the character design, and it just it blew me away, honestly. I really liked it a lot more than I expected to. So uh, for that reason alone, it came in at my number three. Yeah. It was good as well, uh, the fact that Doug Jones, <laughs> but no, an excellent choice. But my number two, it's already been on your list. It is The Wrestler. Ah, very good. Yeah, Darren Aronofsky, Mickey Rourke, Marissa Tomei, and Evan Rachel Wood, who's so good in Westworld. But like you said, looking at the world of wrestling from a different way, a washed up guy who's, who's been big and was still trying to make a comeback. And he was a bit of an idiot. He liked his drugs. He liked his strippers. He liked his like there's drugs <laughs> but uh <laughs> I, it was just it was it was a great character study of somebody who almost had it all and now had pretty much nothing and mickey rock was just amazing it? yeah yeah definitely that's my number two all right well my number two is a comedy and uh it is it really is one of my favorite comedies of the past 10 years that's why it's my number two uh and it is role model starring paul rudd and sean william scott and it's a movie i can quote left and right but i oh I, yeah yeah i yeah. can't quote it on this podcast because it is definitely a hard r rated comedy yeah it is yeah. um but you know it's 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 these two guys and paul rudd kind of gets in trouble he has to take on like a you know, a big brother type of like a little kid to mentor and the kid he takes on is a real handful of trouble. And actually both of them do. And it, it, it's so funny. And it's the kid. It's it's one of the kids who does all the F-bombs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I don't always find that amusing. Like kids swearing isn't inherently funny to me, but this kid in particular yeah. is really funny. And they have a whole subplot with LARPing, live action role playing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jane Lynch is in it and she is just utterly fantastic. In oh, it. she's whatever she's in, she's brilliant. Yeah. And, and Sean William Scott sort of plays his typical character and Paul Rudd sort of plays kind of a Paul Ruddy character, but they're so good together, the two of them on screen. And this movie just makes me laugh. My wife and I love it. We will quote it and we've watched it several times and it, it never fails to crack me up. So it's my number two and it's very solidly my number two because I do love that movie. Yeah, to be honest, I'd forgotten about it, but I remember watching it and enjoying it. It didn't make me laugh. Yeah. I need to, I've only seen it the once. So I need to give that one a because I like like you I like all of them involved. I mean I'm just gonna say it, it is way funnier than anything like I don't know Tropic Thunder or Pineapple yeah. Express or any <laughs> other comedy you know Zohan any other comedy on your list it's yeah. it's funnier than yeah. all of them but hey that's that's okay. Well, I'll, give, I'll give it a watch. <laughs> uh, okay though but not a good choice. Well my number well, one I, I think could your, I th could be your number one. Yeah I think there's a pretty strong chance we have the same movie for number one. Uh, well my number one is Iron Man. Yes we we have a bingo as you're fond of saying. Yes, that's a bingo. Yep. But uh, yep, uh, as we mentioned in, uh, I think, was it the mini episode last week? Yes, yes. We mentioned it, it was basically Iron Man, which got the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it going, even though we'd had a few more before it. But uh, Robert Downey Jr. is just some of the best casting there's ever been. It really is. It's inspired yeah, casting. 
Yeah, I never when they were talking about making an Iron Man movie, I never thought of Robert Downey Jr. Right, but then once they when they announced him, I remember I remember my wife saying like, "Is that is that good casting? Do you like that?" Because obviously, she, you know, she knows I'm into comics and all that. Yeah. And I said, "You know what? That is the perfect casting. I yeah, can't think I of anyone same, better. Yeah. He he is so perfect for that role." Yeah, it's just it was amazing. John Favreau directing it, and also it was Happy Hogan. It's just everything works so well it, it it did the origin story of this character who people who hadn't really read the comics wouldn't really know that well they might have been slightly aware of him but it was a bit of a gamble for marvel to to go with iron man right but it could it meant it meant it was a story we hadn't seen the origin of before so people wouldn't, wouldn't have fatigue over it but they they were really faithful to the comic book as well i was surprised how faithful it was with his origin yeah yeah which was great yeah. obviously they updated it but it was just straight in there uh, you got jeff bridges doing great things they just got Everything right in the first Iron Man film. We also had the post-credits scene as well with Sam Jackson's Nick Fury, you know, saying talking about the Avengers yeah, initiative, yeah. which was nice. Setting that up. You know, the thing yeah, I also good. like about Iron Man is it really set the tone for the Marvel movies to come. And I think it's a part of the reason why Marvel's been so successful was they, they yeah. figured out a formula on Iron Man that worked. And then they said, hey, you know what? Let's not screw this up and deviate from that. So, you know, Iron Man had, you know, good superhero action, big budget special effects, a lot of humor. A lot of character, yeah. great casting. You know, that's the thing. And every Marvel movie since then has really, you know, worked hard to have inspired casting and a lot of humor. And obviously we've seen that to the nth degree with Thor Ragnarok. But, you know, it, there isn't, hasn't been a dour, dark Marvel movie yet like like a Batman versus Superman where you're just like, oh, yeah, my yeah. God, lighten up, you know. And, you know, they get people like Paul Rudd, you know, to play Ant-Man, which is maybe slightly unconventional casting. But then you see them in the movie and you're like, oh, this is perfect. I can't think of anybody better, you know. Yeah. Yeah, they thought for the all the main characters they've just done so well but like you say half the time you're going well why did he pick that and then you see them in action you're going right. wow it's just perfect right i mean you look at robert Downey jr and, and chris hemsworth as thor i mean you know chris evans i don't think he was the name on everyone's list for you know Captain no America, it was, uh, but... mainly it was, it was the guy from the office right. yeah john krasinski was was one of the main ones who was rumored to be captain america back in the day i remember reporting on that right so you know it's like they just they, they find the right people and then they take these offbeat directors john favreau had made some good films but he wasn't you know they didn't go with like a spielberg or a big name yeah yeah you know and they've continued to do that and it and it's paying off extremely well for them so it really set the tone for the marvel universe and it's just it's a great film so easy choice for number one yes definitely but that was 2008 i'm sure many of you out there will be listening to the, some of the films we picked to both of us and gone what the hell are they talking about with those films <laughs> it just wasn't but a great we, year yeah but and as we always say these are our favorite films of the year and a lot of it especially mine were just at the times when i saw them I was just having a really good time, yeah. and I had, I had a lot of laughs with them. Right, right. Or there was lots of blood in the case of Rambo. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to start to wrap things up for this episode for us. Uh, Phil, why don't you go ahead and tell people what we'll be discussing in next week's episode? Hey, yes, next week, due to scheduling and real life, it's going to be a mini episode. So join us for one of those shorter times but we'll be talking about some top five or something or other and you'll be going wow these are really good that's right that's right yep uh, yeah it's just like you said uh, scheduling it's that time of year as we get closer to the holidays uh, things will start to uh, shift a little bit with the episode schedule but we'll still be here every week so join us then for that we'll still have a lot of fun all right then in that case it's time to sign off so as always we thank you greatly for listening i'm mike spring and i'm phil edwards and we'll see you next week after the ending Nothing usable. 25 minutes already. Jesus Christmas. Okay. Jesus Christmas. Was that his full name? Yeah, you didn't know that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought everyone knew that by now. You've never heard yeah, that? No. I say it all the time.
Huh? Much to the delight of Christians everywhere. <laughs> I do like that. Jesus Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But Jesus Christ, no, his full name to his friends was Jesus Christmas. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Instead, he decides and yeah, he decides to try and make contact. Ah, oh, can't. Let me have a drink. <laughs> yep. What happened there? Simple sentence. <laughs> Apparently not. This has been the Freddie Prince Minute on After the Ending. Join us next week for another minute. Dude, we should totally work that in for every week. We just <laughs> have something about Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince He's so awesome, right? Freddie Freddie Prince, Freddie the Freddie Prince Minute. I like that. This just in, Freddie Prince Jr. has never seen a single episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, even though he's married to Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> we'll have news on the reactions from the fans right after this. This has been the Freddie Prince Minute on After the Ending. News just in, Freddie Prince Jr. was eating pizza tonight. He enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) This just in, breaking news, Freddie Prince Jr. not actually a prince. We'll be back with more on this story (laughs) as it develops. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We're given the option of rehabilitation or the cure. Never look perfect. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I just had this image of like, you can choose to be rehabilitated or we strap you down. And we play Friday. I'm in love for 24 hours straight. <laughs> okay. You know, the cure. <laughs> you will listen yeah. to the album Wish all Robert, day, got, every day. They get Robert Smith coming in with his guitar. <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, he kind of looks like one of them because he's all yeah, pale, yeah. you know. <laughs> so it's just, we said, you can have rehabilitation or the cure. And I was yeah. like, oh, God, rehabilitation, rehabilitation. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs>